Okay, turn with me again, please, uh, to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And as we do, as we have God's word open before us, let's just pray for a moment. Our Father, we pray for the children of the creche and indeed the Sunday school. We pray you would uh, work through those teachers today uh, for Susanna and Andrew in the Sunday school. Please use them mightily and may your word come alive, we pray. May they see Jesus Christ through your word today and soon, if not already, place their faith and trust in him as their saviour. Bless us now, Father. We thank you that the same Holy Spirit who inspired these words is alive in each of, the, of us who believe. Speak to us. Speak to those who do not know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 9. I wonder, um, have you ever been fortunate enough uh, to meet one of your heroes? Uh, maybe it was a, a footballer that you met and you got his... I guess it's her nowadays as well, or her autograph. Maybe it was a celebrity from the television and you were so excited that you got stage fright and mumbled your words as you met him or her. Maybe it was a musician. My daughter's uh, new classroom assistant is apparently a big Cliff Richard fan. And that's not for me, but, you know, each to their own. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if she's ever met him. Uh, I can, it can seemingly even happen uh, to pastors. Uh, we, some of us were at the Sing Conference uh, in Belfast in June, and we were sitting in the row behind John Piper. Uh, and the queue of people at the end to meet Pastor John was something serious. Uh, he was something of a hero to people. Maybe your hero is somber, someone no longer with us. I don't know, Elvis, or, or maybe, maybe that's a dangerous road, which is stick to believers. Uh, I don't know, Amy Carmichael, or, or Hudson Taylor, or, or Mary Slessor, or Charles Spurgeon. Now, let's go with those, right, shall we? Peter, James, and John meet with two of their heroes. Two of their heroes, because there's no doubt that the Old Testament prophets of this stature, as we're about to to meet, uh, they were considered heroes in Jesus' day. They, these two were certainly believers, and they were no longer alive. Uh, they had gone on before. We're, we're in Mark chapter 9, as we recommence our, what we've, we've called it, What's He Like? That's the overall heading of the series uh, this morning. Uh, it's uh, the He is Jesus, What's He Like? Uh, when um, we, we we paused this back last October at chapter 8, the halfway point of, of Mark. I'm very, you know, organized in terms of half and half. You know, that's the way I, my mind thinks, so forgive me for that. But we're back at the second half. We're recommencing this morning uh, in chapter 9. When my wife, Cherith, uh, was at Bible college, one of her lecturers was speaking about the inspiration of Scripture. Uh, he, he said that uh, we have, what we have in the Bible is the full canon, God's last word, and that uh, we, all that we needed for, for life and godliness is contained in the 66 books. But, he said, the chapter and verse divisions were not inspired. And that's right. I don't know if you knew that. Maybe you didn't know that. These were added later, much later. In the early I don't know, 16th century, the 1500s or so, uh, to help with navigation and memorization. You can imagine how difficult it would be to say, oh, I like that passage if it didn't have a chapter and verse with it, to find it like an index. And you know what? Sometimes when they were placing the, the chapter and verse locations, they didn't do that good a job. 
uh, Cheris lecturer said that at times it was like a man was on a galloping horse inserting the chapter divisions on the way. And we've one of those divisions actually between Mark 8 and Mark 9. We talked about this in October when we paused our series. Verse, nine, verse 1 of chapter 9 actually belongs with chapter 8. Because he's just been showing them of his glory and then he talks about how it's coming. So we finished chapter 8 at the verse 1 of chapter 9. That's what we did. But the truth is, verse 38 belongs with chapter 9. Verse 30 of chapter 8 belongs with chapter 9. In fact, arguably, so do verse 27, 28, 29, 30, the whole way down. So to simply put, there shouldn't really be a chapter division here at all. It's all one flow of a story, right from chapter 8 the whole way through chapter 9. And so as we try to recommence uh, chapter 9 at the halfway point, we find ourselves in mid-flow. That's what we do this morning. Mid-flow. And as we pull out of the service station and back onto the fast-paced motorway that is Mark's gospel, we need a reminder of where we are. Mark writes uh, his account of Jesus' life, his gospel account to a mainly Roman audience. That's, that's what he has in mind. He, he has this one big source, uh, a source who is an eyewitness, someone who was there, and that was the apostle Peter. And there's plenty of Peter today. For us to look at. Back in the middle of chapter 8, uh, we had this, um, this big watershed moment in the Gospels. Uh, we have Peter's confession in a, in a place called Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Jesus asks, so you can see it there on the page, uh, 27, 28, down that, that, that part. Uh, Peter asks, uh, sorry, Jesus asks uh, this identity question Who do people uh, say that I am? And the disciples respond, and some say John the Baptist, uh, some say uh, Elijah. Uh, others say one of the prophets. Uh, but Jesus then gets really personal. He says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And impulsive. First out with it, Peter, he makes that great confession. You are the Christ, he says. Verse 29. You're the Messiah. You're God's chosen one. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the next big thing on the timetable of God. Importantly, the exact sort of Christ or Messiah that, 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 that Peter, he, he's representing them all actually, that Peter and the rest of them have in mind is not yet clear to them. They haven't got it all figured out. And we know that because of what Jesus says next and what follows. He, he, as chapter 8 ends, he, he tells them that, 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 that a biblical Messiah, a biblical Christ is a two-part rule. Uh, it's, it's a suffering rule and it's also a glorious rule. He tells them of his suffering in verse 31. He speaks of rejection and anguish and death and, and rising again. And confusion reigns. And you guessed it, Peter, he speaks out. And he says, no, I don't, uh, get, no, we're not having that. We're not having that. And Jesus rebukes him. Jesus then carries on with the wider implications. Uh, if, 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 if Jesus is going to suffer, then his followers who, who follow him are also going to suffer. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus, he's one that suffered, and that means you're going to, it's going to follow. If you want to live for God in a, in a world that's fundamentally opposed to him, which it is, it's not going to be a rose garden. It's not going to be. But then thankfully, and more easy to swallow, 
there's more than suffering. After this comes something glorious. Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He's going to be ashamed of you if you're ashamed of him, but but don't miss the, the glory, right? He's coming in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. It's not just suffering, it's also followed by glory. Great, every eye shall see it, world stage glory. That's what we're talking about here, okay? And the disciples are struggling to understand. And so his next move is to show them. Every teacher knows that the picture is often a better learning tool than the theory. The the video that you can call on, a video clip, is, is often a better accompaniment to any verbal explanation alone. And that's what Jesus does. He shows them. In terms of setting, of course, we're not on a motorway at all. Uh, we're on a mountain. And a high one at that. Uh, well, three of Jesus' disciples are on the mountain. We're not. We're seated in Dundonald. Uh, and along with uh, Jesus himself, the three of them are on a mountain. Peter, James, and John. The three are part of the twelve disciples. But they're like the kind of inner circle of his disciples. Only these three are with him when he does three important things in the, in the Gospels. Uh, when he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead in Mark chapter 5, these three are the only ones there uh, of the disciples. Uh, when he has that very sorrowful prayer in, in the Garden of Gethsemane later on, these three are the only ones that are there. And here they are eyewitnesses to a really big event in the middle part of the Gospels. As we firstly see this morning, the mountain of glory. It's the mountain of glory. Things are about to get visual for the three disciples. Uh, This is probably Mount Hermon. We're not entirely sure. But a mountain is not an unexpected place for something important to happen. For in Jesus' ministry, things often happen on mountains. If you think about it. He preaches on a mountain in chapter 3, verse 13. He prays on a mountain in chapter 6, verse 46. He's tempted on a mountain uh, by by the devil in in Matthew chapter 4. And he performs this great feeding miracle of the 5,000 at the beginning of chapter 8. And John tells us when he he records it that it was on a mountain. Revelation, great displays often happen on mountains. And this is a display of of glory here. At Mount Calvary, he displays his suffering. One day, it's promised that on the Mount of Olives, he will display his glory for every eye to see. And here we have something of a preview. It's fitting that Old Testament prophet Elijah is here. No stranger to mountaineering, Elijah. Remember, he was part of that great display of God's glory on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18. Remember, he's also led to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, in 1 Kings 19. Mount Horeb, which incidentally, well, it's not incidentally, it's important, is also called Mount Sinai, and which is the very place where the glory of God is revealed to Moses when he makes a six-day journey when he's receiving the commandments in Exodus 24. Don't miss that little detail in verse 2, after six days. It's so uncommon for Mark to have details that whenever he does have details, we're supposed to realize he's telling us that for a reason. Secondly, 
notice the glory of heaven. Before Moses and Elijah even show up, before they even make an appearance, right, there's great glory on display. Verse 2 tells us that while they're by themselves, Jesus was transfigured before them, before their very eyes, a display of glory. Peter's writing in his second letter later on in the Bible, and and he talks about this event, and he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He was there. It's a great display of majesty, of, of the divine Christ, the king. Uh, that word there, transfigured, is a word uh, in the original where we get uh, metamorphosis. Remember your, uh, your GCSE geography? I don't. Igneous, sedimentary, and metamorphic. That's the three types of rock. Anyone remember that one? Metamorphic, metamorphosis is that idea of, of changing from one form to the other. An outward change. One commentator describes this as an outward visible transformation of his appearance to fit with his nature, his divine nature. That's what's going on. We're told more. Jesus, uh, Jesus' clothes become radiant, bright, white, as no one on earth could bleach them, uh, Mark records. It's whiter than, than, I don't know, Daz or Ariel. Luke says they were, they were like, there, was a, there was a flash of lightning in his clothes. This is some sight. Luke records how the appearance of his face changed too, not just his clothes. Remember how Moses came down the mountain and his face is shining so brightly that the people can't, they don't want to come near him, they're scared. There's something of a foreshadowing here of Jesus' spiritual body. Remember, after he rises from the dead, he, he, he looks to see him enough, right, Jesus? But, but he's also somewhat different. He, he, he's upgraded. His body has been upgraded. The disciples that they, they meet, uh, the three of these, three of them are here as well that, that we have today, but the rest of them are there, and they're behind locked doors, and, uh, and Jesus is in a body, all right, and, he, and he's at pains to, to, to show them, uh, you know, make sure you realize I'm in a body I'm eating, and, I'm, and, I'm, and you can come and see He'll also be in that body forever and ever, by the way. But, but his body is, is better because he can disappear in an instant and, and apparently pass through walls. So it's, 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 it's upgraded. It's glorified. He's in his glorified body. And then within 50 days, Jesus ascends to heaven in this body. And he'll be, he's there forever. And he'll forever be in a body until he returns. And up on this mountain of transfiguration... There is a a foreshadow of the glory that's coming. The glory that verse 28 uh, promises, verse 38, sorry, promises to to display in in a future day that's still future to you and I. No one on earth is responsible for this event for no one could bleach it, those clothes so white. This is heaven breaking through. This is glorious. This is the bright white light of heaven breaking through. And after this, what happens? While the disciples are, they, they, they speak with Jesus, they're, they're, there's an appearance of two people who are in heaven. Two believers. One who's died normally, if, if you could put it like that, Moses. And the other who went to heaven in a, in a whirlwind. Remember? Elijah. Peter is, Peter, he's astounded, isn't he? to be with his two Old Testament heroes. How does he know who they are? 
There's a good question, isn't it? Maybe Jesus tells them, I don't know. Or maybe there's something of heaven in that too. The Bible doesn't say explicitly, but there are lots of hints that people will know who others are in heaven. It goes along with the idea of relationship. Perfect relationships in heaven require you to know who somebody is. Paul tells the Thessalonians that they are his joy and hope at the coming of the Lord. And that, and, and that tells us that their relationship strengthens. So they must know each other. Jesus says, Many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Their names are quite obviously known. And here, even with Elijah and Moses, who haven't yet got resurrected bodies, and yet Peter and James and John know who they are as they see them in whatever form they've taken here. A foreshadow of heaven, probably. Peter is so astounded to be where he is. He and the other two are terrified. Of course they are. Heaven breaking through on earth is always a scary event in the Bible. The light, the holiness, the power. And again, he's the one that speaks up first. I like the, um, he was there, detail of verse 6 of Mark's source. For he did not know what to say. You can almost imagine Peter recounting this to Mark as he's recording it in his gospel. Yeah, I kind of just came out, of that, came out with that one, you know. He's, he's starstruck. He's there with his heroes. He doesn't know what to say. And Peter wants to make three tents. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. He clearly sees Jesus in a league with these other heroes of the, of the faith. He, he's... He sees them alongside the other two. Jesus in the company of great prophets. Moses, of course, is a favorite prophet. He, he, he writes the first five books of the Bible. Uh, he speaks God's words and writes them down. Elijah, he's got, he's got a pretty big fan club too in those days. He, he raised the dead, the, the, the widow's son. He, he's certainly a prophet. He says to wicked King Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. And three and a half years, there ain't any rain. He's a prophet, all right. Jesus is in the company of great prophets. He's also in the company of great deliverers of Israel. Moses delivers the people. He takes them from, from the slavery of Egypt and he, he raises his staff and the Red Sea opens up and they walk through on dry land and he, and he takes them into the very borders of the promised land. And of course, Elijah, he, he delivers the people from the prophets of Baal and, and Ahab and wicked Queen Jezebel in that great test of who is God on Mount Carmel. And Peter speaks up with his hastily formed plan. He wants three tents. Three NIV shelters. Three tabernacles is that word. He's amazed. He, he doesn't want this moment to end. It's like he wants a, it's like he wants a memorial, a souvenir for, for, for where he is. He doesn't want it to be over. Like, like a photo with his heroes. And we can understand that, can't we? And he wants to worship. Tabernacles are where you worship. In the Old Testament economy. But remember, the other two are just men. For by raising Jesus to 
the status of these other two great Old Testament characters, these, these great prophets and deliverers, Peter is actually diminishing him. He's actually reducing him. And we see again the misunderstanding of who Jesus actually is. And Peter and the other two disciples here with him and going along with it, but Jesus is better. Moses doesn't get into the promised land. He disobeys. He hits the rock too hard and he doesn't get in. Elijah, he's a crisis of faith and he, and he, and he asks to die before being restored. Jesus has no feelings like that whatsoever. The prophets are not equal with Jesus. The top two, these are the top two in the Old Testament, as far as people are concerned, the top two actually point to Jesus as all the others do. And all the other deliverances point to the real deliverance that only Jesus brings. The deliverance from sin. The deliverance from slavery of that type. Where we can become right with God because of what he's done on the cross where we can trust in him and, and, and repent and believe and, and become, become right with God no Peter you don't need another Old Testament tabernacle God has come to dwell with us already and you're standing next to him and you have been for months John chapter 1 verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt tabernacled that's that word among us. He's here. You're standing right next to him. And heaven breaks through again to confirm this, as we see thirdly, the firstborn of heaven. As after Peter makes this statement, a big cloud overshadows them, we're told. Uh, and there's a voice in the cloud. And, and the links to the Sinai, Exodus 20-odd, you know, biblical event when Moses is up the mountain uh, getting the commandments, they're so numerous here, it's hard to miss, right? There's a mountain. There's six days. There's a face shining. There's three named people going up the mountain. Same, same with Moses. There's terror. And here we have a cloud covering the mountain just like that day on Mount Sinai with Moses. And God speaks in thunderings that day. And there's, it's terrifying. Of course it is. And again here, God the Father speaks. Matthew tells us, as he records this, this account, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Jesus comes over and he touches them and he says, rise, have no fear. God speaks. And this time it's a clear, audible message. This is my beloved son. Just like when Jesus is baptized, God breaks through and he declares the identity of Jesus. He tells them who he is. He's not just any prophet. Uh, he's not just any deliverer. He's not on par with the best of the best of the Old Testament prophets. He, he's the one that the disciples have been waiting for. He's the one Elijah and Moses have been waiting for too. He's unique. He's, he's the divine son. He's the son of God and, and a beloved one at that. He's loved. He's deeply loved by God the Father and the presence of God is in him. The transfiguration of Jesus is something of his divine nature on display, a temporary revelation of his heavenly origin. That's what's going on. And yet, you never wait too long in the Gospels when Jesus' divine nature is being displayed till you're reminded 
that he's also fully human. Look at verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Verse 12. Son of Man, yet again. This is the last time that Jesus tells uh, the disciples uh, to keep the matter to themselves. Uh, And this time, unlike before, it comes time limited. Don't tell anyone until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. You can tell it widely after that. Please do. That day on Sinai, Moses received Ten Commandments, given on tablets of stone, written by the finger of God, we're told. And what commandment do we have from the Lord God this day? It's there, isn't it? In verse 7, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. This confirms what Moses says, actually, in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. As to him you shall listen. He's pointing to Jesus. He's he's expecting Jesus. And here he's here to listen to. The The pair of Old Testament prophets, they speak to Jesus. We're told that. But they don't speak to the three disciples. Only Jesus speaks to them. That's the order here. That's the priority. There's something new happening. As soon as the Father speaks, we're told that uh, that the other two are gone. They've disappeared. They're back to their heavenly home to wait for the final consummation of all things. Jesus is left alone. People might think in his day that he's John the Baptist, that he's maybe Elijah, that he's one of the prophets. But no, he's, he's the top-ranking prophet. He's the top-ranking deliverer. In fact, he's the firstborn son of heaven. He's the preeminent one. We, we read that in Colossians 1 at the beginning. Paul talks exactly this way. He, he's the firstborn. That, that doesn't mean he was created. That, that's not about creation. That's rank language. He's the top-ranking one. He's the top-ranking one. The preeminent one. The last hero standing. Finally notice the death of the firstborn. On the way back down the mountain, there is um, discussion between Jesus and the three about Elijah. It's almost like they twigged all the Moses links and the, the, you know, what happened that day. But they aren't quite sure about Elijah, how he fits into this. What's the story with Elijah, they ask? I mean... Our scribes and teachers are saying that he has to come first before the Messiah comes in glory. That question shows that they're still confused about the reference to the resurrection from the dead, as verse 10 shows. The disciples are are stumped because Jesus' uh, teaching that he must suffer uh, uh, has not yet sunk in, which is probably why he orders them not to tell anyone they're listening to their own teachers of the law their opinions not jesus still which is why what god the father tells them to listen to his son right and the disciples here i'll explain this as best i can they're they're, they're talking about a, a teaching from the scribes based on malachi chapter 4 the very end of the old testament right the very last couple of verses that elijah was to appear first before the great and terrible day of the lord which they hope means 
the launch of a physical earthly kingdom rule of splendor, taking on the Romans, if you like. That's what they're expecting. Elijah comes, then glorious kingdom coming with him. They're confused. How does the Son of Man rising from the dead fit into that timetable? I mean, if Elijah comes before the day of the Lord, then when is the, Elijah, when is the Messiah to be displayed? How, how can the Messiah be, be dead in, in order to be resurrected? Or, I'll simplify it. If Elijah's here, it's glory now, isn't it? It's glory. Elijah, he, he's here. It's, it's glory. That's what they tell us. What's all this suffering and cross chat? Jesus is going to have to continue to drill into them that, the, that God's plan entails the Son of Man suffering and dying himself. Suffering and dying. Glory has got into their heads here, right? Uh, and of course it did. They, they've been up on the mountain. It's been glorious. They've seen all this wonderful light and, and, and they've, they've been visited by two Old Testament heroes and, 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 it's, and, and they don't want to go home. But it's not yet. It's the cross first. Jesus does seem to initially agree with the scribal teaching. Yes, Elijah is coming, but then gives a bit of a twist when he says he's come already. And he's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is presented in the Gospels as, as the one that comes in the spirit of Elijah. He, he's dressed like Elijah in chapter 1 of Mark. And John, as Elijah has been imprisoned because of the grudge of Herodias, his wife. He's been beheaded on a whim, and he lies dead, and he lies buried. And Elijah does come first. He's already come, says Jesus, but they did to him whatever they wished. And you know what? He suffered and he's died. And that is what's going to happen. Your expectations are wrong, Jesus says. You've got to first... See the suffering and the death of the Messiah. The glory is coming later. It's not yet. Be nice. Would have been nice for Peter and James and John to have stayed in the glory with their true hero, Jesus, forever and ever. But it's not yet. They have to come back down the mountain. And they have to listen to Jesus. And they have to walk the rest of their lives following what he's taught them. They have to. And with us, of course. We would like glory now. Of course we would. There were people at the Sing um, concert, uh, and uh, there was one song that some of the people were telling I wasn't there, but some of the people that were there were telling me there was one song that a guy came and, and sang, and it's Is He Worthy? And they said the, the hairs rose in the back of their neck. It was, there was a thousand strong choir singing, and, and it, was, it was like heaven, they told me. And sometimes we might have an experience of something glorious and we might not want to leave that. We might have an experience of God so clearly at work, his glory on display to look back to in the past. Maybe, maybe you, your conversion story, right? A moment when, when God spoke and we received the Savior and heaven broke through, but, but we need to keep on going. We need to keep walking on. We need to keep listening to what Jesus says in his word. We've time here yet. 
Glory is coming for sure, but we're not there yet. And there may be trouble ahead. Heaven breaks through as a, as a foreshadow. And it shows who the real hero is. Uh, it's, it's Jesus. He's, he's the one that they need. He's the one that the Old Testament prophets need. He's the one that we need. Not some other teacher or man. It's Jesus who stands when all the others fade away. And he stands the test of time. He stands the test of history. In Hebrews 11, we have that uh, famous list of the heroes of the faith. And um, in another case where the chapter division's in the wrong place, chapter 12 begins by telling us that, that, that the real hero is the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus that you need this morning. He's our leader. He's our hero. He, he, he dies for us. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. And, and as the leader, he's in charge. He tells us what to do because he knows what's best for us. He, he gives us his word and, and we hang on his every word. He commands. He, he commands in his word. And we follow him. doesn't matter a dot who you follow on Instagram or Facebook in a hundred years' time. This matters. This matters eternally. He goes before and we follow. He, he blazes the trail. He faces trouble and rejection and suffering. And, and, and we have to expect to see him. Uh, he tran he's transformed, right? And, and so we too uh, receive a transformation, according to Paul. It's the same word for transfigure. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Listen to this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You're being changed too. He, he's our, we're following him. From one degree of glory to another. The kingdom's here, absolutely, but it's not yet. Uh, we, we, we will have new bodies like this, spiritual bodies for the new heaven and the new earth. And, but we're not there yet. We're still in the old one and we get coughs and we get aches and we get pains. And we'll ultimately leave this place. The disciples have seen the kingdom of God before they see death, as he promised in verse 1. But it's not all complete. We still need to pray, your kingdom come. There's more to come. There's the coming of the Lord one day in his Father's glory when every eye will see. And we will not be in any doubt who the real hero is, the one who the history of the world past, present, and future is all about. He's the one that you need to listen to above all others. And what you do with his words matters more than anything else. I hope there's no one in Dundonald Baptist this morning ashamed of him. I hope you're trusting in Christ and, and following him by his word. Otherwise, he tells us that when he comes in glory, he'll be ashamed of you. I hope you see in him your, your rescuer, your deliverer, not just a, a prophet like they would tell us in Islam. No, he's, he's, he's your prophet, he's your priest, he's your king, and he's your everything. That's what it means to be a Christian. Let's bow our heads together in a word of prayer.
Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus, our hero, the one that we've been waiting for, the one that we need, the one who rescues us, the one who stands alone when all other attempts at self-rescue, rescue by another, fall by the wayside, the one who brings us into relationship with you, Help us to trust him, to follow him, to listen to him. For we know that glory is coming, but it's not yet. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a um, song before we come uh, together around the Lord's table. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. Thank you.